0: Our guest today is Seth Gruber, a compelling and passionate voice for pre-born children in the United States who is working to change the way that the entire country thinks about and interacts with abortion. In this episode, he shares a convicting and poignant call to the church to be active in the fight. This is an episode that you don't want to miss. <laughs> Welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And my wonderful co-host, Cam, is on the other side of the screen.
1: Hello, sir. Hey, hey, um, looking forward to talking with Seth today. Um, I, I'm a big fan of his show, Unaborted with Seth Gruber. I'm sure many of you in the audience are familiar with the show. If you haven't checked it out, it's a hard-hitting, um, no-nonsense kind of take on what's going on in, in America. Uh, I'm sure that he does a few internationally. He had Sam Say, um, our, our friend of the program, Sam Say, um, on a little while ago to talk about all things pro-life from Sam's perspective. Um, Seth is great. He's hard hitting. He, as we will get into in the episode, that he's kind of this trumpet blast to try to wake up the slumbering church, I suppose. And so, um, really, really appreciate the work that he's doing. But yeah, how are you doing, Peter? Before we dive into that, let's. How are you? I'm doing really well, thank you.
0: I I don't know when this episode is going to air at this particular moment, but. this morning, uh, from date of recording, Magnus Carlsen has uh, retained his title as the World Chess Champion. So I don't know how many of our listeners follow that, but I certainly was on top of that. One against Jan Nepomna... Yep, yep. Nep- Nepo. Nepo. I don't never Nepo. know how to say his last name. But um, <laughs> a fantastic 11 games in the World Chess Championship. That's not what you tuned in to hear, but um, you asked how I was doing, and, and that was something that was on the top of my mind. So... For those of you who are new to the show, want to learn a little bit more about what we do, you can find all of our episodes wherever you found this one, uh, but also on ProLifeGuys.com with uh, some other things as well. You can also become a patron of the Guys podcast by going to patreon.com slash ProLifeGuys. Be a part of the change. Be a part of the movement of getting uh, amazing street-tested, time-tested apologetics out to pro-lifers around the world. And, uh, and you can do that by becoming a patron of the Pro-Life Guys. There are some other perks there as well. Our conversation, as we mentioned, sir, is with Seth Gruber. He's a nationally renowned pro-life speaker working for Life Training Institute. He travels and speaks in high schools, churches, pro-life training seminars, and for pro-life resource center banquets. He engages in academic debate. He blogs and writes and is a cultural and political commentator. As you mentioned, Cam, he is the host of the podcast Unaborted with Seth Gruber, which you can find wherever you find the Pro-Life Guys podcast or your other favorite ones as well, where he brings both content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars. Seth has been featured by World Magazine, American Family Association, Christian Research Institute, Christianity Today, among other outlets as well. And we're looking forward to uh, this conversation with Seth. Here it is. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we do. Seth, thank you so much for taking the time and joining the program.
2: Yeah, absolutely, guys. It's been fun to watch your growth and your commitment to life in a state that, or rather a country that America is quickly becoming um, if the church doesn't get um, her head out of her, uh, well, I won't finish that sentence, but you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) So grateful for what you guys are doing and uh, good to uh,
0: be on the show together. Thank you. Yeah. you And you're in California, which uh, I think of all the states is most similar to Canada. So we want to dive, dive into that a yeah. little bit as well. But before we get there, I'd love to hear a bit of your story at your, I mean, you're, you're passionately involved in the pro-life movement, equipping churches. You have your own podcast, which we're going to talk to, uh, to you about as well, but share with us a little bit why you got involved in the pro-life movement and perhaps a little bit of your journey towards it. Yeah.
2: Um, Actually, it goes back to CBR, which um, you'll get a kick out of, because I know you guys have been associated with CCBR, um, the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, um, which was, I think, really, uh, if I'm correct, birthed and developed by Stephanie Gray before she um, took off to do her own thing. But the Center for Bioethical Reform is founded by Greg Cunningham and Greg Cunningham and Lois Cunningham are actually my godparents. And my mother asked them to become my godparents shortly before her death in 2015. But my mother was on the board of directors for CBR in the early 90s. Um, CBR was founded, I believe in 91, uh, which is also the date, the year I was born. And so these circles, um, you know, start intersecting a lot my mother was pregnant with me while she was directing a pregnancy resource center called living alternatives later renamed living well um, in azusa california across the street from azusa pacific university a, a now completely discredited pathetic excuse for evangelicalism that has merged the premises of progressivism to their faith uh, this is what we call syncretism but whatever pathetic university. But um, she was saving babies and ministering to mothers uh, while I was a fetus. So I like to say I've been a pro life activist since I was a fetus, um, an unborn child. And so I've been swimming in these waters, I guess you could say quite literally, for for some time now. So that's sort of the background. Um, I can go more into where it went from there. But that's, that's how it sort of started
1: that's awesome Seth and and one thing for for many of our audience I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with Seth's show unaborted I'd love to dive into that a little bit Seth and and what you're what you're achieving and what you're trying to achieve with the the show unaborted and partly because so I, I've been crushing your episode for quite a while now my Spotify um rap just came out and and you are very high on the list and <laughs> and this nice isn't to you. pump your tires um I mean first of all you I must admit, like Maddie, our producer, does a great job of making our sound look uh, sound great. You have the best intro um, to any podcast I've ever listened to. But beyond <laughs> that, um, I, I think about your show, Unaborted, as a bit of a trumpet blast trying to wake up the church for battle. That when we're trying to wake people up, we don't play a harp. We don't play Enya. uh, We don't sing Kumbaya to wake people up to battle. We blow a trumpet blast. And I want to hear about your take on Unaborted because I have been so impressed by how hard-hitting it is not for for its own sake, but for the sake of waking people up. And I, I wonder, you mentioned right. off the top about how America and and the Western world, I'm sure you could say the entire world, is kind of spiraling because of the lack of action from the church. I wonder if you could comment a little bit about basically the role the church plays in turning the tides, if there's any hope left for America, for North America, for the world in this abortion Right. World.
2: Right? Yeah, good question. No, thoughtful question. Uh, Appreciate you guys. I knew we'd have a good time. Um, Yeah, I I launched unaborted in, uh, I think it was June or July of 2019. So shortly before the world shut down. And I did it as a way to um, develop myself as well as a thinker, because when you're forced to prepare um, speeches or content every week, and then later I moved to two a week, but um, you know, you're, you're forcing yourself to think deeply. Um, and to examine ideas and and maybe unexamined premises. And, you know, as I always say, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. Um, And I think that that's nowhere more true today than the issue of abortion. And so I I did it as a way to develop myself. And I I think it's starting to pay dividends um, because we don't have enough people in the church who are committed to the life of the mind. Um, and we've seen the consequences that's played out on, on young people, right? The future leaders of the church as well. Uh, what was that new study? Something about, uh, was it 34? Forty percent—I don't even remember what it was. Arizona Christian University: some stupid percentage of Gen Zers say they identify as LGBTQ. It's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're just saying that to get, you know, approval from your kooky leftist friends, who may also only be saying they identify that way to get the same type of approval ratings. But, but my point is, is like, look, at what's happening to the next generation, and then, there, and then we've been seeing studies come out about it was either probably Bar, Barna Group, but about uh, the percentage of christians today who say they're christians who say that they believe that the bible is the inerrant, infallible authoritative word of god and it's and it's like a very low percentage of people who still believe that so we've been abandoning the public square for so long um and now we're really starting to experience the consequences of that right things happen gradually then suddenly and then you wake up one day and you're like oh frick how did we get here it's like well no actually that's been a slow progression for some time now um, because these bad ideas have been sort of being planted in the soil and watered by the secular progressive movement for so long, while the church uh, doesn't care enough to, to plant their own eternal seeds and water them, um, that now, now we're fast tracking the experience of the consequences of that. So that so much of that does go right back to the church, right? Um, and so that was the second reason I wanted to do the podcast was um, for, for people who say they're pro-life, for Christians who say they're pro-life. Um, but who practically um, do nothing about those convictions or beliefs. Um, and so I didn't create it as a way to engage pro-aborts. I'll do that in the future. And we have plans for the future in terms of what we'll be doing with the show and more types of public engagement. I'm, I'm fine having kooky weirdo abortionists and pro-abort people in the studio and just, um, and just completely discredit them publicly for the bigots that they are. Um, but the show was launched with, with the intention of, of moving people who say they're pro-life to actually live like it. Um, by diving into what's happening in the country, the culture, examining these ideas that people just don't understand the substance of and therefore the consequences of. Um, and then, yeah, being hard hitting. So I, you know, the show isn't hard hitting because I made it to be hard hitting. The show is hard hitting because I'm hard hitting. Um, that's just, you know, my personality coming out. And so, yeah, I guess that, I guess that was sort of the intention behind it. Yeah. About the, about whether the West and the church will wake up. I mean, you know, the church is supposed to be the the counselor, to the people, right? Um, as my, my good friend and historian Bill Federer says that every king always had a counselor, right? Well, in America, who's the king? Well, the king is actually the people, right? Because the people actually wield more political power um, than any politician. Uh, so, oh, we don't like them, vote them out, right? Now, that's not as true now in America in 2021 as it was a hundred years ago, and we don't have time to get into that conversation about securing our elections. But the point is, is that like, we the people still wield the political power. Um, so we are the closest thing to a king in America. Uh, it's not Nancy Pelosi, it's not Chuck Schumer, okay? It's actually the people. So then if, if, if every king has a counselor, and in America, the people are the king, who's the counselor to the king in America? The pulpits the church and uh bill federer actually wrote a whole book about this called um who's the king in america so credit to him um we're supposed to be the salt the preservative in the culture um and 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 so we're supposed to not just help and love on those who are hurting but we're supposed to contend in the public square upstream by planting moral premises and good ideas in the polity, in the legislation, in the culture, um, so that we don't have to pick up the broken pieces of people who have been harmed downstream because of our refusal to contend upstream. So as my pastor, Rob McCoy says, uh, we, we, we wait downstream as the church in America to pick up human heartache that we helped create through our apathy and through our abdication of our duty to what? What does Jeremiah say? seek the good of the city or the welfare demand the welfare of the city where you are in exile for in her welfare, you will find your welfare. So there's actually like even like a selfish incentive to contend in the public square as a church. It's like to secure your own rights and liberties. Um, But from the Christian perspective, we understand it's actually for the good of others. Um, Right. And so if, if the church doesn't get off their, her ass and start contending in the ecclesia in the public square by getting godly men and women elected, by understanding that politics is a dirty business, and that's not an excuse to to excuse yourself from politics. It's actually a reason to get involved in politics, because who better to try to clean up some of the nasty and dirtiness of politics than Christians. Um, who are told to be salt um, who better to do that than the church and so um, I think I think you know I think the church is is starting to wake up a little bit but i I don't think it's to the extent yet in America that will make that sizable difference um, and actually shut down um, the progression of the secular progressive movement um, whose liturgy um, has really taken off in the last 19 months as they've literally shut down the world so anyways we could talk about that for hours but
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And and I just want to ask one more question, kind of building on that. And it it stems from a talk that I gave in in Vancouver um a couple a couple weeks ago now. Um and and some of the members of this pro life organization, God bless them, they're wonderful, wonderful folks doing amazing stuff in Vancouver. And they were asking, um, when does life win? Sort of thing. There's so many pro lifers want to have like we are the generation to end abortion, life wins, all this kind of right. stuff. And some people will say life is winning because look at what the church is awake, look at what's happening in Texas. Look at what's happening in Florida. Look at what's happening in Ohio. The church is awake. And my thought, not not to be too critical, not to be too harsh, is that the large C church is not awake. There are some small C churches that are awake that are doing amazing things. But this is such a small minority of what we could be doing if the church actually woke up. And I wonder what your thoughts are on what could be accomplished if the church did wake up, if people went to their pastors, their priests, and said, Look at what they're doing over there. Having four churches in my massive city that are doing pro-life stuff isn't enough. We need every church doing something. um, What, what could be accomplished, I guess, with that. And, and what should we be pushing on to get there, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately believe
2: that if um, the church wakes up in a sizable way in America, and abandons their, her comfort in pursuit of life and liberty, um, when she does wake up, um, it will be too late. Um, that's actually my fear. Um, and that that's just goes to show our, our um, refusal to learn the lessons of history, right? Um, it reminds me of what um, uh, Martin Niemoller said. Um, who helped found the Confessing Church with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but was initially a little bit of an anti-Semite, actually, Martin Niamoler. Um And he had sort of a, started teaching some of the anti-Semitic beliefs of Nazism. He later repented, um, helped found the Confessing Church with Bonhoeffer, spent six or seven years in a concentration camp, um, survived. And then after the war, years later, was mourning on the fact that he didn't do more sooner Um, and hence the famous line. uh, First, they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak up because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak up because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak up because I was not a Jew. Um, And then they came for me, Um, and there was no one left to speak up for me. Um, And I fear that when the church wakes up in America to realize it's time to go, it's time to stand. It's time to seek the good of the city. Um, it, it may be too late to secure the blessings of liberty, to quote the American founders, um, in a free manner, right, without physical consequences or persecution. Uh, but yes, of course, an awakened church um, changes the, the cultural and spiritual climate of an entire civilization. I mean, America was launched by activist preachers, who wanted to put their faith out in the public square? Uh, I mean, you could actually—you couldn't run for office in in the first several years of America unless you publicly profess profess that you were a Christian. I mean, like, you know, I mean, whoa, you know. So, I mean, obviously, we're far from that. Actually, we still have something very similar to that on the Democrat side of the aisle. If you don't pledge credence to the religion of secular progressivism. Um, you won't be allowed to run or get the necessary votes as well. So man is fundamentally a religious animal. you got to serve someone. And so um, not ironically, the left often functions more dogmatically and religiously than most Christians do, Uh, meaning they care more about their liturgy, um, which is public work. Liturgy means public work. So the people of God supposed to be participating uh, in public work in the public for the good of God and the furtherance of Christian society. Um, and so America is the sleeping giant in America. Um, and this is why you saw the discriminatory nature of uh, COVID policies, um, right? It's like if you march through the streets of LA and you burn down businesses, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of LA, and Gavin newsom the governor of California, they came out and they thanked you for bringing awareness to systemic racism. Thousands of people marching through the streets of a (laughs) life while spittle flew off their lips um, with no masks and no public health official who had just called John MacArthur a granny killer had any problem with that. But if you met in your church at 50% capacity, you were a granny killer and a super spreader. So you see COVID got woke, it only targets religious conservatives. Well, that's a bunch of BS. So, um, but my point is they always go after the church, don't they? And this is what communist regimes always did as well, always go after the church first, shut them down, because they understand that the church is the only institution that can hold government to account. So in some ways, you guys, the secular culture actually has more of a, um, of a correct and respectful view of the church than the church has of herself. Um, because they understand, oh, man, if that organism was awakened and changed and contending for their beliefs in the public square, we wouldn't be able to accomplish anything Um, if only the church um, held herself in its high regard in terms of what she's capable of as the secular God-hating culture is.
0: Yeah, man, a lot of what you're talking about uh, resonates with me here in Canada as well. I mean, the Liberal Party of uh, Canada, for one example, (laughs) Uh, also says that you can't become a party member unless you are pro-abortion, unless you're going to vote pro-abortion on every single issue that comes up. And that was a party that was at one point Catholic, I believe, Cam. You could probably uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can see how far that's gone. Um, Okay, so like your fear is that uh, the church is not going to wake up until it's too late. Uh, I think we have something very similar here in Canada where we are, but that's not stopping you from trying to equip and trying to motivate churches And so the the big question I have is like, how, you know what I mean? Like you, you are making inroads in churches in California and perhaps elsewhere as well. You're working with love life America. We had Josh Capas on not too long ago to have a fantastic conversation about the work that they are doing. And so when you go to churches, um, when you, you sort of maybe knock on their door, send an email, uh, you know, pound out, pound over the, the pastor's office door or whatever it might be. What's the message you have, and, and what do you want from churches? How do you want them to be involved? How do you want them to step up and be part of the the, the mission, the vision of ending, uh, ending, right. ending the killing of freeborn children?:
2: yeah, my my if I were to condense uh that answer into one sentence, it would be, "I want you to live now with this genocide, like you tell yourself in your mind you would live." If you found yourself in 1940s Germany or 1850s America, that that's what I want um, because we all tell ourselves, right? Like we all think we like to entertain that man. If oh, if I had been living during Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass's time, oh man, I would have been. I would have been underground railroading it so hard. I would have been an abolitionist baby Um, or, you know, I, me and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I would, man, if I had been there, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler would have been successful if I had been there. I mean, I would have been epic. It's like, oh my gosh, like spare me. Like I know, of course, I haven't had people tell me this, but like, well, actually, sometimes people do say that they said, you know, I would have been doing this and that. But my point is, is we all tell ourselves that, right? Like you know, um, Robert P. George uh, at the James Wilson Institute for Natural Rights, and as well as Princeton, he's one of the most brilliant minds in the conservative movement today, and even in the pro-life movement. I have several of his books back here. Um, he always tells a story about how he asked his uh, his law students um, how many of them would have been abolitionists if they had lived in 1850s America, and he's like, "It's the strangest thing." They always all raise their hands. Um, But it's like, of course, but we all know that that's not true, right? Because of the power of culture and the power of normalization, that those injustices were normalized. And actually, the majority opinion was that blacks weren't persons. Right. Despite Sotomayor's bloviating in the Dobbs hearings and oral arguments on December 1st um, about how she's saying, you know, the majority of doctors disagree with you um, about when life begins. And aren't you just making a religious claim? It's like you really don't want to make the majority opinion argument, Sotomayor, OK, because because you as a Democrat hack and operative, your same party um, and the majority of Americans once believed that blacks weren't persons. So, so that's obviously just a stupid argument. Um, but we all tell ourselves now that we would have been engaged, we would have been involved. Um, but the litmus test as to whether that's true or not is how you live on abortion today, because those injustices are all wrong for the same freaking reason, and and that is in each circumstance the victims were denied personhood, they were um, um, talked out of existence, um, their mistreatment or murder was legalized, it was defended under euphemisms, um, and you know the other thread between all three of those the churches were told told to keep their liturgy in the church, just preach the gospel, don't get political. So yes, the p- political climate is obviously different. I'm not saying those injustices are I- identical in every form, um, but they're all wrong for the same reasons. um, and they're all defended in the same ways. And so the church has been more impacted by the secular culture and her liturgy than by our faith and by the holy scriptures. Um and so, that's what I want of churches now. To, to your question, guys, I I don't know what the heck's going on, man. I've just been like riding a wave with my head barely above water for the last um, fifteen months. I don't really know what's going on, um, but I think God's doing something in America and in California. So I, uh, from, let's see, from October of twenty twenty to September of twenty twenty one. I spoke at more churches in a 10 month period than I had done in all 10 years of my speaking career. Um, So I don't freaking know what's going on, um, but God's opening up doors. And that's why I'm saying, I think, I think parts of the church are starting to wake up and not to the degree that it would actually make a sizable difference. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm almost on staff with Love Life. I'm not, I'm just an ambassador for their organization, but I, I don't have the ability or infrastructure to handhold churches into what engagement looks like. I'm just kerosene. Um, and then I, I, I light a match, and then I leave the church. But we have the game plan in place, and then we set up Love Life to come do the training. And so, for example, Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. Okay, Jack Hibbs, good friend, the pastor that America needs but doesn't deserve, kind of like Batman. I I preached there in October. And then there was no Christian witness outside of the the nearest abortion center. The pro life ministry there was basically sizzling out. There was really no activity Um, by the end of December and early by the end of January of 2021. um, They had sent almost 20 members of their church to Charlotte for the four day Love Life missionary training. Um, A few months later, there was a Christian witness outside of the three abortion centers within a 50 minute radius of the church um they were saving babies on a weekly basis um now we have started through my speaking uh largely not not exclusively but largely um we've started love life church partners at multiple calvary chapels throughout southern california including other churches um and abortion centers have been shutting their doors on certain days um uh, we're say they're saving three to five babies a week i believe they're throwing baby showers for the mothers now I mean, this is an awakened and engaged church and it's and, you know, just as cowardice is contagious, so is courage. And I think people were ready to act and they were waiting for their marching orders. And providentially, God worked through me and love life to start blowing that up in California. So I, I wanna take that statement. <laughs> what happens in California doesn't stay in California. And I want that to be applied to righteousness rather than wickedness. And I do believe California is the key. If the church in California woke up um, and started with ending abortion, right? Because if you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. If, if, if Starting in California, if we took back life, And we ended abortion, yes, through political engagement by activated churches, but also just by showing up outside of abortion centers. Can you imagine hundreds of Christians outside of every California abortion center every Saturday, and then dozens on every weekday? I mean, you're talking about nationwide news coverage. You're talking about bankrupting some of them. You're talking about shutting down their doors. I mean, Yeah, that's us living like you tell yourself you would freaking live if you were in 1940s Germany. But except the consequences for engaging are virtually nothing. Even though Newsom's trying to arrest pro-life sidewalk counselors by saying no picketing outside vaccination sites. Oh, Planned Parenthood also does vaccinations. Oops, I'm sure that that wasn't an intentional attack against pro-life sidewalk counselors. But still, the consequences are basically nothing except your time and energy. The consequences for doing that in Germany was you got a freaking bullet in the head. So if you say you would do it then with the consequences being your head's chopped off like Sophie Scholl, um, but you're not doing it here with no consequence, then no, you wouldn't have risked your, your, your neck uh, in Germany. And so, but, you know, it's exciting because when we show up, everything changes because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's really the point is we're inviting churches into the greatest journey ever, which is being used by God. And when you show up, he just chooses to work through his church. For whatever reason, God could end abortion overnight if he wanted, but he hasn't. And providentially, he chooses to work through his church. So either we can enjoy that uh, and watch what happens as we participate in ending the greatest genocide in human history, or we can adopt our comfortable armchair Christianity um, until, until um, it's too late. And you can't even sit in your living room and have that armchair, comfortable Christian theologian conversations without um, your iPhone hearing you and uh, them going, oh, those Christians are talking about Jesus. And then they show up at your door, at which point it's too late to contend for freedom anymore. So
0: that reminds me, Seth, of uh, one of the things that a friend of ours uh, of the program said once John Barrows, who ministers outside of an abortion clinic in Orlando, Florida, he said, it's amazing what God will do if you simply show up. And uh, that's something you you mention as well, um, for the churches to to really get out, be in front of their abortion centers, have those conversations about abortion. Now you've 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 sort of answered my question already about uh, the importance of being in California, but I want you to just talk about the principle of being in a place like California, because there are, there are sort of these cesspools of iniquity, I, I guess you could say. Uh, in Canada, we have listeners elsewhere as well, where. Um, there are some particularly dark places in the countries and cities that they live. Um, and, and this is the place that you seek to focus on. I know there are critics of the work that you do, uh, living comfortably in Oklahoma and doing their thing over there, but you, uh, are God. destined, uh, you are, uh, focused on California, this place that, uh, most people are trying to run away from and, and, uh, not going to lie. I probably would try to to run, run away from California as well, but talk about the importance of. Talk about the importance of being in a place like California, in a place like New York, in a place like Toronto, Ontario, in these places where the status quo is so pro-abortion that it seems highly unlikely that any change is going to happen. Um, but the the witness and the light of the Christian church is so necessary.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, many people don't know this about Bonhoeffer, but um, he was actually in New York. Um studying uh, early on when everything started happening and he had the opportunity to stay there um and he went back um and he 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 just believed how could i how could i abandon uh, my neighbors and i i'm needed um and it's not a perfect analogy because it's not like i'm being genocided in california um but the babies are, um, and I could, I could go to Idaho or, um, Tennessee or Texas. And I've had many friends do that and I don't hold it against them. Um, I understand I've got two young kids. Like I I would like to have a, a better cost of living. Um, I would like a culture that's more conducive to raising children and a quieter life and cheaper land. Um, but if all the good people leave California, then who is there to fight, right? Um, and it reminds me of something too that Abraham Kuyper once said, the Dutch theologian. Uh, he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign overall does not cry, mine. Um, and that's certainly true of California as well. And so California is really sort of this you know, turning point um state you know to quote my friend charlie kirk that you know california is i think it was like the sixth largest economy in the world or something like that and you know so california can be um used for incredible wickedness or incredible good uh there are more registered republicans in california than any state in the country um and that surprises people sometimes when they think about how blue it is, but that's just because our population is so huge in california um now i'm not I'm not trying to blend republicanism with Christianity. I'm just saying the Republican party, as imperfect as she is, is the only political party that presents any type of viable opportunity to end abortion. Um And so an awakened church um would spell the end of abortion in California, and therefore i I believe the country as well. Um, because I think God would start blessing um, the church and America once again. Uh, I think we're already under the judgment of God. Uh, God's not going to bless a people, a land, a country or a church that allow the slaughter of his innocence and participate in it. So I actually think that God's left the room. I think he says, I, I think he said, I'm done. And he said the same thing to the Israelites in Psalm 106. He's like, you gave your babies to demons, so I gave you over to be ruled by those who hate you. Yeah, we've been given over to be ruled by those who hate Christians in America and in California, and we're really experiencing that, like I said, to an accelerated degree, aren't we, in the last uh, 12 months, 18 months? Um, I mean, you can't go to public school in California anymore. We're talking public high school, guys, Um, unless you've got the jab. So you're going to have more young people in hospitals because of uh, complications from the vaccine than you would have ever had in the hospital from complications due to COVID. Um, but Newsom doesn't care about that. He, 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 he signed that anyways. We see, we, I mean, we are, we are experiencing accelerated consequences, um, because I believe of abortion. Yes. of many other things as well, but it really all starts with life, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, for whatever reason we've chosen to stay in California. Um, and it's exciting to see what God's doing because of the potential of California to flip everything around for righteousness. So, yeah, just pray with us that the church awakens before
1: before it's too late, you know. Love it. Last one on my end, Seth, and I know that we could probably do an entire episode on this, but I, I guess it's kind of a call to action regarding, so you mentioned earlier the, the Supreme Court case that was argued on December 1st, um, Dobbs v. Jackson Health Clinic. I, I'm sure there's a lot of pro-lifers who are looking at that as uh, with bated breath, thinking that the outcome of that is going to radically change everything and that their involvement is going to be irrelevant, that that abortion is won and lost either by the presidential election or by Supreme Court rulings. But in reality, it's not like this ruling is ever going to be abortion is unconstitutional. Nobody's ever allowed to have abortions. Right. Supreme Court does the job for us. What, what do you say to churches, regardless of what the outcome of this case is, that we need to, we need to get busy right now and not pawn off our responsibility for our neighbor um, on right. our politicians, our Supreme Court judges, uh, that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, exactly right. Duty is ours; results are God's, right? To quote John Quincy Adams, "The hellhound of slavery." So, you know, regardless of of which way the decision goes, our duty remains the same. It, the, the only problem is, right, that our duty is that much more difficult to fulfill because we've abdicated for so long, right? So, if the, if Christians had been involved in, involved in the public square and in the political sphere, seeking the good of the city, promoting righteousness, restraining evil, um, and and doing that for the last fifty years, then um we'd have godly men and women at some of the highest elected um, offices at the state level. Um, you know, so Roe v. Wade topples, boom, you all got all these godly men and women in all the states as governors and legislators, ban abortion in your state. Now, of course, the, the, the end of justice is going to be, um, I used to say constitutional amendment. I, I think more of just a recognition that the, the pre-borns right to life is already in, our family documents. We just abandon them. We don't need a constitutional amendment to restore personhood to the preborn. They are a person. Every argument you've used to deperson them, I can use to deperson you. Stop being a bigot and restore their right to life. So that would be sort of the end of justice. Would would be a federal ban on abortion in all fifty states. But if, again, if you had, had godly men and women participating in the public square this whole time, we'd be in a very different position. And that's also because statecraft is soulcraft, to quote Aristotle. Uh, Right. Government, through its laws and policies, prescribe which type of behaviors are acceptable and not acceptable in a civilized society. Um, And so, you know, when we did no fault divorce laws in America, did we get more or less divorce? We got way more. I mean, this is self-evident. So how many generations of people grew up in a country that told them abortion is reproductive health care, reproductive justice? It's feminism. It's women's rights. And if you're not pro-choice, you actually hate women um well people have been being told that for decades in america and so it just becomes sort of part of the the moral uh, consciousness of the culture and we have this stupid tendency of americans to assume that whatever's legal is moral uh so we we, we think oh well it's legal right so it's and eh, therefore it's good it's i mean it's stupid stupid but we still have a tendency to do that so in participating in the public square not only are you promoting righteousness and helping love neighbor but you're you're also actually impacting culture as well right conservatives um uh, have long said that, uh, that politics is downstream of culture. That's true. As goes culture, so goes the polity, but it's actually a two-way street as well. It often is a two-way street. The politics impacts the culture as well. I mean, look at East and West Germany, right? One is over 50% atheist, one is largely Catholic. I wonder why that is, huh? I wonder why it's like, okay. <laughs> what, you know, was uh, West Germany took a brutal policy or East Germany uh, of, of squashing out Christianity for years. Um, and now they're more atheists. That's like, well, that would be politics impacting culture. And so, um, our duty is actually that much more difficult now as Christians when we do wake up, uh, because we have, we're so far down the hill that now we've got to try to catch up. Um, but you, but again, never, you know, never, um, uh discount the church because you you're discounting Christ, right? I mean he he chooses to work in miraculous ways. God intervenes in the affairs of men. Um and America is the prime example of that. And so um and see now I just went off on a on a tangent. I forgot even what your question
1: was. Um yeah. No that that's awesome. I, it was just kind of this this point that we we can't um Surrender all of the abortion decision making yes, yeah, yeah. to the Supreme yeah, Court, right? right. That, that, regardless of the outcome, especially if it gets sent back to the state level, yes, we've got states like Texas, Florida, Ohio, Idaho, all these kind of places that may be able to pass restrictive legislation. But then you're going to get to yeah. states and and abortion sanctuaries and whatnot. And so, yeah. the the uh, yeah. as as what uh, Churchill put it, um, this isn't the end. This isn't even the beginning. This is the the end of the beginning, sort of thing. There's so much of the beach left to fight for than what has been accomplished so far, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's true. Well, the left, they've been contending in the public square so faithfully for so long. That's why they exercise such massive political and cultural influence uh, between the mainstream media, Hollywood entertainment, universities, good Lord. Um, And we've abandoned those institutions for so long as the church Um, that even if the church really wakes up and abandons the stupid Johnson Amendment spell that's on the American public of the separation of church and state, and we realize there is no such thing as that, um, you know, the church is always going to impact the politics and politics is always going to impact the church. And we abandon that and get involved. It's going to take some time to take back that spiritual ground. But I think in being faithful, we may be surprised at how quickly things move um, because um, God is all powerful, sovereign, and and he's moving in, in mighty ways. And so um, I think we're just, I think the church is just missing out on the greatest adventure. Um, and we're gonna give an account to our children, our grandchildren, and one day God himself as to what we did or did not do on, the, on this genocide um it reminds me of something Sophie Scholl said the 21 year old who had her head chopped off by the nazis um and for part for distributing anti-nazi literature and tracts and trying to sort of mobilize christian resistance of uh, the white rose resistance and um she spoke to um who was really causing the real damage um and she didn't say it was the nazis right this is another einstein line who said einstein said that um, that, um, the, 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 it's not those, the doers of evil, um, who are responsible, but, but, but those who watch them and don't do anything. Um, but Sophie Scholl said, she said that the real damage is caused by all of those millions who just want to survive the honest men who just want to be left in peace, um, those with Those who don't want their little lives to be disturbed by anything bigger than themselves. Those with no sides and no causes. Those for whom freedom, honor, strength, and principles are only literature. Those who live small, die small. It's the reductionistic approach to life. If you keep it small, you'll keep it under control. If you don't make any noise, the boogeyman won't find you. But it's all an illusion because they die too. Those people who roll up their spirits into tiny little balls so as to be safe. Safe from what? Life is always on the edge of death. Narrow streets lead to the same place as wide avenues. And a little candle burns itself out, just like the flaming torch does. I choose my own way to burn. Um, And if the church in America chose to burn for righteousness, for faithfulness, for life, for liberty, and for the duty that Christ has called them to, everything would change. And if they're killed early, well, life is always on the edge of death. At least you were a flaming fire for righteousness. And that reminds me of Sophie Scholl's final words, actually, before she was killed. And she says, how can we expect righteousness to prevail? when there is hardly anyone willing to give themselves up individually to a righteous cause. Such a fine sunny day and I have to go. But what does my death matter if through us thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action? So if we do die, we know that we will make an example and an encouragement to millions um, who will finally wake up. I pray we never get to that place in America. Um, But I think that that's what's at stake uh, spiritually culturally and politically
0: Seth, that is a great place uh to wrap this up thank you so much you are the host of unaborted with seth gruber which we can find on youtube on spotify apple Podcasts, and everywhere else do you have a website do you have another spot that you'd like to direct our listeners to as well
2: yeah my my website is sethgruber.com and then i'm active on on facebook primarily and then instagram as well um, but yeah love the work you guys are doing praying for canada um and your wokey woke Trudeau face um and everything you guys are 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 facing it's sad to watch it really is um but what people don't understand is that uh, America's hat will soon become her suit um if she doesn't wake up um and Canada Uh is just um maybe 15 10 to 20 years ahead um in the deterioration of the social and political fabric that America is and so you guys are a little bit of a political and cultural crystal globe Um, For America, um, unless the church wakes up. So, thanks,
0: guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for taking the time and joining us, sir. That was Seth Gruber, host of Unaborted, with Seth Gruber, his podcast. Go check it out. Go subscribe. Go listen to some of the content that he puts out to the world. This this uh, conversation that we've had, I think, uh, will be a small indication of the type of content you will get from Seth. And so, um, if you are asking me, from my vantage point, I I think he did a fantastic job of uh, promoting his content, and his work. One thing that I have, Cam, just to reflect on is the one quote that he said, and it is, just as cowardice is contagious, courage is contagious. So courage is contagious. I've seen that before. Uh, I know you've seen that before, that when one person steps up, when two people step up, it inspires more to do so as well. And so I guess our encouragement, my encouragement, um, be that individual, be that church uh, that steps up that is courageous because you will be amazed at the response on the way that God will use your faithfulness to inspire and motivate and equip others as well. Kim, I don't know if you have any reflections as we wrap this up.
1: Yeah, just to, again, as I mentioned off the top, I mean, Seth, is a bit of a ringing bell asking the question, is the church going to answer the bell? And and I think that it can be sobering to have that somewhat bleak outlook on, no, it, it might be too late for the church to wake up. But you know what? Um... Just because we haven't woken up yet, and, and I include myself in, in this conversation, this isn't a point fingers, um, but this is a matter of just because we don't know with certainty if we have woken up with time, in time doesn't mean that it's time to throw in the towel, that there's no time like the present to start getting active, whether that's in your church, whether that's in your community, whatever that might look like for you. Now is the time for action. and And as you mentioned, Peter, that courage is contagious. If you take a step out amongst your group of friends, amongst your church, amongst your men's group, your ladies' group, your Bible study, whatever, um, and say, I am going to make a difference for pre-born babies, I'm going to have conversations, I'm going to show the truth about what's going on here. Um, you can have a profound impact, not only in the lives of those that you're um, interacting with on street corners, and on doorsteps and in your lunchroom, but also in the lives of people within your Bible study, within your church, within your community. And so be that person. Um, it, it's a cliche. It's way too catchy. Um, and it's said by Gandhi, so it must be true. But be the change you want to see in the world. Uh, we need more folks who step up to the plate Um Because as we've seen in Texas, as we've seen in Florida and Ohio and Wisconsin and and all these other states, um, a small number of people can get a tremendous amount of work done. Just imagine what could be accomplished with even more people um, tugging on the rope. And so that's my thought. That's my call to action. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed it with Seth. Beauty.
0: Yeah, as did I. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I just want to say one thing: the best way to get con out, content out to the world, the best way to to market this content, is through word of mouth. Is through firsthand testimony. You sharing it with your friends, you sharing it with your family, uh, is the best way that we can get more and more content out. Um, so we want to encourage you to do that. Please uh, share this episode, share your favorite episode, uh, if that's another one, uh, and share the podcast with those around you, so that we can reach more people. More people can be equipped and uh, can be part of these conversations as well. As I mentioned off the top, my name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. That is Cam. He's the co-host. We're grateful that you have given us your time. You've allowed us to speak into your earbuds or into your car speakers or wherever it might be. Um, if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, suggestions, feedback, whatever else you would like to share with us, you can do so by reaching out to us on our social media accounts, on Facebook, The ProLife Life Guys Podcast, Instagram, at Guys Podcast and Twitter at ProLifeGuys. And you can reach out to us on our website, ProLifeGuys.com as well. There are contact forms there and uh, and other resources as well, along with a back catalog of all the episodes that we have done so far. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for reaching out. We love interacting with each and every one of you who does. And we hope you tune in again next time.